Welcome to the Our Wyoming Life Perspective, a weekly podcast giving you an inside look at the real-life struggles and triumphs of modern agriculture while introducing you to where your food really comes from and the families behind it. It's time to take a spin around the pasture, and here's your host, Mike Galloway. Good morning. Hi, guys. I am Mike Galloway, and this is the Our Wyoming Life Perspective, part of Our Wyoming Life. And if you haven't subscribed yet, head on over to YouTube and subscribe to the channel Our Wyoming Life. You can also catch us on our live streams, uh, which take place every Sunday from 6 to 7 p.m. on the Beyond the Ranch channel. We have a very special show in store for you today with a guest by the name of Nick Welker. You may know him from Welker Farms on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. I'm going to read you really quick uh, their about page on YouTube uh, where it says, Farming is awesome. Seriously, farming is amazing. We make food for millions, and how cool is that? Come join us as we tell our story of farming in the 21st century. Welker Farms is located in north central Montana and has been in the family since the homestead of 1912. Third generation farmer Bob Welker, along with his two sons, Nick and Scott, strive to carry on the family farm legacy. Welker Farms Inc. has become a common name throughout the agricultural world by the popular means of YouTube videos from their channel. Ultimately, we owe everything to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You can check out Welker Farms at their new website, welkerfarmsinc.com. We're going to have Nick coming up, but a weird little uh, piece of trivia here is the fact that I am originally from Montana and grew up not far from Nick. I thought we'd uh, lead into things today before Nick gets here, and I'd give you a little bit of my backstory that you may have never heard before. I was born in western Montana. Uh, my grandparents actually lived over in that area, and my grandfather was an airline pilot. My grandmother was a stay-at-home mom, and my mom was with them at the time that I was born along with my dad. My dad was a professional ranch hand and a uh, basically laborer, and he was helping out in that area. met my mom, and uh, eventually here came here came little Mike. Uh, we lived in that area for quite a while. In fact, I went to kindergarten in Kalispell, Montana. And my dad at the time, like I said, he was a professional ranch hand. So we ended up moving quite a bit across uh, the northern part of Montana. We moved from Kalispell to Cutbank uh, over to Haver and all that area from Chinook to uh, Miles City, the entire High Line. And growing up in that area was always a little bit interesting. It was cold. It was uh, it was an interesting deal. And my dad worked as a ranch hand at one farm or another, another ranch, uh, basically until he uh, wore out his welcome or ticked off the owner or whatever happened. And he would move on to another uh, farm or ranch. And we went with him. My dad had a stroke when I was, uh, I, I was about six years old, I think, uh, when my dad had his stroke. And that kind of put that life to an end. And that's when we had a chance to settle down, not too far from Welker Farms. We're going to take a really quick break here uh, for one of our sponsors, and then we will be right back uh, with Nick from Welker Farms. Stick around. I'm a soldier. I'm a farmer. This morning, I got up at 5 a.m., grabbed my weapon, and took my post. This morning, I got up at 5 a.m., grabbed my hammer, and fixed a post. My business is protecting America. My business is feeding America. 
you might think that we're very different people. But we're actually very similar. After completing my service, the Farmer Veteran Coalition helped me return to my family farm. When my service is done, the Farmer Veteran Coalition will help me get my farm going. The Farmer Veteran Coalition works with veterans in all 50 states to cultivate a new generation of farmers and food leaders through education and assistance. Read the success stories and get involved at farmvetco.org. That's farmvetco.org. The Farmer Veteran Coalition, mobilizing veterans to feed America. You're listening to the Our Wyoming Life Perspective. Here's your host, Mike Galloway. Welcome back to the Wyoming Life Perspective. Mike here again with you. And as you know, and as I've been telling you, um, I'm originally from Montana. I grew up on the High Line, which is considered Highway 2, the second highway in the U.S. that uh, runs right up along the Canadian border. And my dad, like I said, was, uh, was a little bit of a wanderer. So we went all the way up and down the High Line, uh, working at different ranches and different farms. But one thing I didn't expect was to run into a kindred soul on YouTube. And I met Nick Welker for the very first time in person at the Ag Expo in 2020. Now this was right at the beginning of the COVID thing. So we did shake hands. We didn't give each other a hug or anything like that. We were just there at the beginning of the COVID thing. Nobody knew how bad it was gonna get and how much people were gonna become to rely on YouTube and social media to actually uh, to live outside their homes. He's taken that, uh, that YouTube and social media uh, word and strength to uh, a point of 466,000 subscribers, 407 videos online, and over 93 million views. So we're going to talk to him right now. We have on the line with us, Nick Welker. Good morning, Nick. How are you? Good morning. Doing great. Good to be here. How are uh, How are things up in uh, up in northern Montana? <clears throat> you know, they're they're pretty good. It was a beautiful day yesterday. It was 57 degrees. We were outside doing some work here and there, but it's going to get cold and talking negative temps starting probably tomorrow. So, but no, things are good. We're getting stuff done. Just kind of staying indoors when it's cold. And when we get a chance to go outside, we take advantage of the weather. Exactly. I saw your uh, newest video on YouTube, uh, shooting the, uh, the bowling ball cannon. Uh, what does it take to get one of those? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the waiting list is pretty long so far because I could imagine none of them have been delivered yet, but eventually here they'll get out of pre-production and actually uh, hit the hit the uh, <laughs> the factory so we'll see yeah no doubt make sure your lawyers on top of that too by the way yeah that's probably a good thing a little insurance on that probably I'm sure there's a little bit of a liability there uh nick <laughs> nick lives uh, up near shelby uh montana which is up on the high line on uh, is that i-15 or i yes that's I-15. Uh, 15. yep 15 I-15. Yep. And uh, I grew up up and down the High Line as well. In fact, uh, one of the where I went to high school, uh, Shelby, now they divide classes or schools in, in Montana into class A, B and C. And A is the largest. I don't know if there is any. Is there any double A's or triple A's? Maybe I, Great Falls or Billings? I think there is a double A. Yeah, there's a couple yeah. double A's. But yeah. And you guys, Shelby, you guys were class B, the school that I went to. And are you still class B? Yep. Yep. We're, we're, we're mostly class B, but they did, uh, I think two years ago, just drop our football down to eight man. So then technically I guess they compete with class C, but yeah, it was just a shortage of boys, but I think that's the future is probably going to be going to class C and not too long. It kind of seems that way. And, and, and we used to play, uh, we were class C and we used to play you guys, uh, in, in high school basketball. And I do, I, the only thing I really remember about going and playing the Shelby coyotes was your dang floor that I don't know if this is the same school you went to because you're, you're a few years younger than I am, 
But uh, that floor was the bounciest floor that I ever played basketball on. And I don't know why, but you could jump about six inches higher than you could. Really? I don't know what it was, but we used to love going there because all of a sudden you felt like Michael Jordan. And I don't know what it was, probably psychological more than anything. Was but, was this at the high, the high school yeah. gymnasium? Yeah, at the high school. Yeah. Yep. Then yeah. that's probably the same one then. Yeah. That's, you know, maybe that's why I could always grab the rim there. There you go. Know. Yeah. See, if you <laughs> came down to our school, you would have been just barely touching the net, which is where I was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it is weird how, how things kind of, how, how, uh, you know, things come together. And when I did hear that you were from Shelby, I was like, Oh, you know what? I might actually know that family. And, and we probably know a lot of the same people. I don't know if you, uh, we had a teacher, uh, who left our school, uh, Fred Seidensticker, who actually went and taught in Shelby. And I don't know if he was still there when you were there. Uh, I'm not was, sure if that name rings a bell, but I would not yeah, doubt it. He was a science teacher. Actually, one of my best friends was one of his kids. And his, <coughs> his kid went and played basketball for uh, Shelby and ended up moving on to uh, MSU, I think, if I remember right. But Oh, cool. Yeah, it's just a it's just a small, small world, ain't it? It, it, it is. If you're in any of these small states, it's amazing how connected everybody is. I mean, we just barely broke a million people just a couple of years ago. And I mean, you're in Wyoming and what are they at? They had 700,000 or is it a half uh, million? About 700,000. Yeah. I figure once we get about 700,000 subscribers, I'm going to quit. Yeah. I'm just say, <laughs> I got Wyoming covered. So that's what I was always kind of thinking. is like, if I could just get as many subscribers as the population of Montana. So I, f- I feel bad for those that live in California. That goal is a little bit harder to achieve. Well, but. Yeah. But you know what? They've got all kinds of, you know, it's funny that uh, you did, did you do the uh, United States of YouTube thing when they got, I did. Them? Yes. And, that's one of the things they told us. They said, Hey, you guys are like the largest YouTube channel in, in Wyoming. And I was like, really? Cause at that time we only had a hundred and some odd thousand subscribers. Yeah. And I was like, really? And they were like, yeah, there's just, you know, not that many people doing it. And I think, wow. You know, thing in Montana, probably. I don't know. Well, well, I, I probably would have had a shot, but this, uh, this, this guy named, uh, Alex Steele moved over from Britain and started a, uh, well, he had a big channel in, 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 in Britain and it was a forging channel. He makes swords and knives and stuff. Well, he moved to Bozeman and, and took his channel there and brought with him over like 2 million subs. Oh, well, yeah. no, he, he's a good guy. I, I actually really enjoy his channel. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun, but it's, uh, I was like, oh, well, there goes my shot of being the biggest Montana channel. Well, you know, if you can't, if you can't beat him, join him. And it sounds yeah. like up your alley anyway. So yeah, he's good. No, it's, we got, we had Kanye move here and then, and you know, so, I mean, what do you, what do you expect? <laughs> oh, really? I guess I forgot about that. It's yeah. True. yeah. He lives in Jackson, which really we don't consider part of Wyoming. So. Oh, you have one of those cities. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, we got, we've got, kind of, we've got about two of those that we, we could, you know, kind of go the way California break off a little way kind of thing, you know? Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's like kind of like Missoula, <laughs> yep. that area. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So since we have you here on the podcast and, and I, you know, I really wanted to kind of turn things over to you and, and kind of tell uh, your story. And I figured the easiest place to start uh, would be, and I'm sure you've made a video about this at some point, but what's, what's the history behind your farm? Uh, where, where did, uh, how did this whole thing start? I know you started your YouTube channel back in 2011, but obviously you've got history way back. And, and how did, how did the whole thing start in Northern Montana? Well, the, um, back in 1907, my uh, great uncle, it would have been Tom Welker, uh, came up here for the Homesteading Act um, from Oklahoma, and at that time there was a really good couple of years up here in the grass. I said it was as tall as the horse's belly, and so he came up here, and there was it was all the good places had already been picked over pretty much for about twenty years there. I think you know most of Montana would been had been homesteaded, but there were still some areas on the High Line, which is where we are, which was left, and obviously due to 
horrible winters and, and not very fertile soil. But he came up and he's like, wow, this is great. There's grass everywhere. So he told his brother, which would be my great, great grandpa, uh, John Welker. And he said, hey, John, you got to come up here, man. There's a section, not a section, because up in Montana, they were desperate to get the land. People didn't even, people couldn't survive the winters up here. They just couldn't. Mm-hmm. There wasn't enough firewood. So the government would give you 160 acres instead of, uh, I think, 80 or whatever was the typical. Or maybe it was right. a 320. I think it was a 320, actually. They gave you like double what the typical homesteading was. And so as an incentive to try to get people to be here. And, and in the Homesteading Act, you had to you had to live there for a minimum of five years. And you had to show improvements on the property and then they would sign your name over on the, on the deeded land. And so um, my uncle John, sorry, my great grandpa, John came up and he's like, okay, well, sure. I'll plot next year. So that was in 1912. And not long after that, my, my great uncle Tom, who first came up was like, I can't take this anymore. This is too hard. I'm out of here. So he left. And then my great grandpa, John took up, took over his land. So then he doubled up basically um, which was uh, probably pretty big at the time. And he, believe it or not, pushed through the winters. They had nine kids and two bedroom house out on the prairie, but they eventually bought a property in town and I think would spend the winter winters in, in town and then spend the summers out on the farm. And, and then from then on, it was, uh, yeah, just, uh, my, my, um, my grandpa and my uncle, uh, great uncle, or maybe great, great uncle. Yeah. My great uncle farmed together after him. And then eventually my dad, and then it's myself and my brother. Do you guys see a lot of where you're at? Do you see any any corporate farms? I know you guys are obviously a family farm. Do you guys see? And when you say corporate farms, I'm not talking about you know families that form a corporation because that's actually smart to do and and people yeah. get confused by the whole thing. But what I'm thinking is like factory farming. Do you see much of that in Montana? Mm, yeah. You know, I, I haven't seen much of that yet. I know there is a few, um, but the majority of farms in Montana are still owned by the original families or. Or, or, or some, or, or whoever's running the farm is connected to some farm that was homesteaded and started here. There are some enormous farms. There's one recently that just surpassed 100,000 crop acres a year, um, and they stretch all the way from Great Falls to to almost Shelby. And um, you know, the guy grew up in in the area, grew out of uh, out of Dutton, and uh, to my knowledge, or maybe it was Brady. I'm not sure exactly, but anyways, um, so there are gigantic farms. There's also little farms that are owned by dealerships, Case, IH, John Deere dealership. So you know that um, they run those and they farm on the side too. But the closest thing to a corporate farm would be kind of like our Hutterite population. They're similar to the Mennonites, and mm-hmm. they uh, um, they are growing rapidly and building colonies, consuming up land. But they're they operate a lot differently. But yeah, like you said, almost every farm is a corporate farm because because of tax incentives. We were pushed by the government basically to incorporate, mm-hmm. uh, and and I don't think most farms would have done that. But to avoid uh, massive taxes and it also hopefully help with inheritance. They, uh, yeah, they pushed everybody to that. So yeah, we're all incorporated now. Exactly. Yeah. We're actually, uh, uh kind of doing the same thing and trying to figure out, uh, the best ways to make it happen on your guys's place. Did they start out as, I mean, obviously are you guys winter wheat? Are you, are you, are you winter and summer wheat, uh, or spring wheat? Um, did they start out that way or, or back? Do you know how that came about or was it a change in crops or, you know, it's it, to my knowledge, it started out as sheep. Um, there wasn't, I mean, there wasn't any fences, there wasn't any fields. So they struck up a couple fences here and there. There's a lot of old barbed wire that we're still dealing with today that's in the ground. But they, uh, sheep was probably the easiest thing. So a lot of them are sheep herders. Um, you know, I think they probably had maybe a little bit of cattle, but not a lot. The hardest part was water. There wasn't, you know, I grew up with what we call reservoirs everywhere. They're just right. little man made dams in all the waterways. And it, 
blocks of water up and gives you maybe a quarter acre or, you know, something hundred feet wide by 200 feet body of water in the animals and all of our antelope deer, all the animals say drink out of it and the birds are in there and everything. Well, <clears throat> that wasn't there. There was no bodies of water. So when they came, they, they had, I think there was crews that probably went around with, with a little, you know, probably, uh, um, what do they call a draft horses and a, and a scraper blade. And, and they'd slowly build these, these, these dams where your homestead was. And then you could then have a little flock of sheep. And I think that's what they did it for a while. Then eventually what got them to survive was like you grew up on the High Line. Well, the High Line was established by the railroad. Mm-hmm. Um, all the towns, including the ones you lived in and, and, and Shelby as well that I live in, um, they were basically pit stops for the locomotives. So when the water. train would go 20 miles. Yeah, I needed more water. So <clears throat> it would stop and they would fill the, the locomotives up and they'd keep going. Well, every one of those stops turned into a town, just like a gas station on highway. Yep. Eventually, a couple more businesses build around in a hotel. And before you know, you got a McDonald's and then you got a little town. And so that's how these towns were established. Well, so to supply the trains, they didn't have pipelines from the river or anything. So they would, my grandparents would take wagons and they would go 10 miles to the Marias River, let them soak in the river all day and the wood would swell up. And then they would take them out and basically carry a wagon load of water all the way back to town and sell it to the railroad for water for the steam engines. Wow. That's amazing. I did talk to a railroad guy one time up on the high line and he told me originally with the steam trains, if you look at all those little towns that you see, and, and a lot of them, they're not even towns there on the railroad anymore, but you, and you know what I'm talking about. You see the sign that has like a town name and you're like, yes. what the heck is that? They were, they were nine to 11 miles apart. And that's how you end wow. up with Kremlin, Guilford, Hingham, Inverness. You know, those were all nine to 11 miles apart. And it was based on the steam trains for what I was told. Um, Amazing. It really is. I, you know, I think we, we just, we, we take a lot of, lot for granted how the, the, the beginnings of all this and how it all came to be. And I mean, it's just fascinating how they, they built it all out of nothing. Yeah, exactly. That's very true. Aaron would be remiss if I didn't ask you this question. And this is a question we get all the time and it's about irrigation. And we, you kind of hit on this already is that, you know, there's not much water uh, on the, in the Great Plains, which you guys, I guess, I think you guys are a part of the Great Plains as well. Up there. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. On this, just this side of the Rockies. And, um, you know, there's not much water to be had. And one of the questions we always get is like, why don't you irrigate? Why don't you, you know, have a pivot, uh, you know, all this kind of stuff. We get about 14 inches of rain here per year. And, and because of our soil conditions and that kind of stuff, that's, uh, that's enough to, to grow the prairie grasses that, mm-hmm. we're, that we're hoping for. Uh, where you're at, how much rain do you get? Um, would irrigation work for you guys? And then, basically, and then can you tell me a little bit about the soil that you're dealing with also? Yeah, so the rainfall year, um, we've had as low as one to two inches, and we've had as high as 16, and that's like a 30-year historical amount. But average, we're probably around that six to 10 inches a year. If we get close to that 10, we're doing the, that's a bumper crop for us. And that's rainfall. That doesn't include snow. Um, last year, our growing season was just under five inches. Uh, and so it's it's very timely rains. It's got to be very... You know, you, 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 that's why planting early and getting the crop in as soon as we can to take advantage of those early spring rains is critical for us because it seems typically our rains are cut off. So, yeah, we're, we're a dry climate up here. This isn't all in Montana, too. And, and everything I'm saying here in preference is to this area that I'm in along the High Line. It changes. If I go 10, 15 miles south, uh, it, it absolutely changes. And 10, 15 miles north, it absolutely changes. So we're in, I, Unfortunately, my family decided this was great place to homestead and it was kind of one of the drought areas of montana but um so there's a lot of montana that's not this way that has very fertile ground but we uh um we are in an area that's typically drought uh we would be considered drought anything under 10 inches of rain a year 
or less is considered a desert actually by, I guess, whatever set that standard. So right, we're desert. But, um, and as far as irrigation goes, I've asked, had that question asked a lot too. And I've had some go as far as to say, well, how did you fill your sprayers up and go spray your fields with them with yeah. water? And, and what they don't understand is it takes to equal one inch of rainfall on the ground per acre. You need 28,000 to 30,000 gallons of water mm-hmm. to cover one inch on an acre. And then if you have 10,000 acres, we'll do the math on that, figure out that your sprayer only holds a thousand gallons at a trip. And that it goes down as a mist would evaporate as fast as it hits the ground. But with that aside, we don't have groundwater. Uh, where we're at, we have natural gas under the ground. There is some oil, but it's not really that accessible where we're at. So <clears throat> it's a very shale area. So any groundwater that is there is really bad, high in sulfurs, high in um, other uh, elements. And so it's not good for drinking water. And there's not enough volume at all to even pump out for any kind of irrigation. Yeah. Now, if you're by any bodies of water, like say a river, there is there was some irrigation canals put in through parts of Montana. Like I was saying, 10, 15 miles south of us, there's there's farms down there that they do get, you know, 15 inches of rain a year, but they irrigate as well. And they grow 100, 120 bushel winter wheat crops every year. And they can do that because they have water from the mountains that's been directed through these canals that were man-made. And uh, but in our area, that was never done. Um there was never water. So no, we have no access to any water other than drinking water and running operation. And that water comes from a river, which is 12 miles away. And the city has a pipeline that pumps it in. And then to irrigate off that would take all their supply and two, it would uh, cost uh, probably half a million dollars a year or so. And, and, and only get a couple, a couple fields at all. So it's just not a feasible thing. So yeah, we're at the mercy of the rain. And then as far as soil types go, that's the one thing we do have an advantage on. And I didn't realize this. I just grown up in North Central Montana. I've, I've been very uh, um, isolated, I guess. There's a lot mm-hmm. that I didn't understand about the rest of the world and ag. But as I've grown on social media and have been blessed with the opportunities to travel and gotten to know farms and farmers from Midwest, Mideast, you know, West Coast, East Coast, all around, the, the soil types make a big difference. And some of these areas that get 25, 30 inches of rainfall a year, their soil, it just passes right through. And that's why they have to tile do other things is because they, they, they don't, uh, or, or, well, it's a little different. It doesn't, it doesn't retain it. Like they could have a two inch rain and be out in the field the next day. We have a two inch rain. We're not in the field for four or five days. It takes that long for the surface to, to firm up. And, and the reason is our, I think our clay soil here, it retains the water a lot better. There's a, there's a formation underneath that doesn't let the water sink down. And I think that's one reason why we don't have aquifers. We don't have any groundwater because it doesn't have a chance. So it just kind of sits on the top. So that's a blessing for when you do get a rain, if you have crop on the ground, the plants have time to access that moisture and pull it in. It doesn't just wash away, but um, it does also mean that our topsoil is a lot thinner. We don't have nearly as much organic matter. So it's kind of a good and bad, but hopefully that clears things up a little bit. But yeah, it's, it's definitely a different challenge up here, but you just have to farm smart and accordingly. And, you know, people are making a way, we've been doing it for over hundred years. So it's definitely a doable thing. I always, uh, you know, we get a lot of emails and I'm sure you do too, where, you know, it's, uh, here's what works for me. You know, why don't you do this? And then I think that it is very, you have to, you almost have to continually explain to people that, you know, there's different environments or you, you live in a different area. Uh, you can run more cows. You can, you can grow different types of things. You can grow corn. I get that. Why don't you guys grow corn? Uh, yeah. We can't even That's grow right. corn in the <laughs> garden. We can't even grow corn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ours so, like three I mean, feet tall for like a field. 
Yeah. yeah, it's and then you, and then you, well, go watch this YouTube channel because this guy's figured out how to uh, how to grow th- grow anywhere, and it's like no, he hasn't. He's figured out how to sell a program that can make that you know you you think you can grow anywhere, but uh, exactly. it's it's a very interesting uh, trying to just explain to people the difference in areas. Like here, we've got really sandy lo- sandy loam, so our any rain we get goes right through the soil. Now you can drop a well anywhere and get water, mm. uh, but then the state of Wyoming actually regulates water wells. So you, they have to approve anything to irrigate over an acre. And with us being near the coal mines and stuff like that, they're actually dewatering here. So they're, uh, they're taking water out anyway. So they're not going to let us go and, you know, pump out a million gallons of water a week onto a field, uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, feeding cities and towns and all this kind of stuff. So that's, always- and, you, and you hit the nail on the head. What works for you doesn't necessarily work for me. And what works for me doesn't necessarily work for you. And I, I, I get that all the time too. And it's, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a humbling thing. I have to sit back and realize, you know, these, the, the ones making these, these, these comments or suggestions or emails. I mean, I've had people tell us we need to build massive reservoirs to collect the rainwater and then use that to irrigate on our farm and, and all these things. I mean, it's just the, the what they, and I, I'm not bashing anybody because it is a, a legitimate, a legitimate idea that makes sense in their mind. But the problem is they've never set foot, not only once, but lived here for years, <clears throat> seeing the weather pattern, seeing how the wind blows, seeing how the ground, uh, take some moisture in if they saw those they saw our winners you know then it's a different picture and and that's like i know people up in minnesota that get a lot of flack for tilling their soil mm-hmm. and everyone's like you need to go to no-till well we we've been no-tilling since the early 90s um it's just we've been doing that because that was a practice that we got into with chemical follow um but in minnesota they have to because they their growing season is so limited by the snow uh and they have to get that soil turned over to get it dark and black so the sun will thaw it out in the spring and then they got so much organic matter because they produce such heavy corn crops that they have to get that soil the that plant material on the ground so it starts breaking down and so but yeah obviously that practice you know down southern iowa or, or you know down even further it, it, they don't they don't need to do that because it's a different climate and that's that's the trick is understanding that we all have different obstacles and and it takes a different tool and a different practice to overcome them Exactly. Exactly. Uh, one of the big breaks that you had, uh, obviously you started your YouTube channel back in 2011. We'll get into the YouTube side of things, but what I wanted to talk about next was actually, um, your role, uh, on the ranch and how you came or the farm, sorry, you came up and, um, uh, you know, how, how you realized that you were going to stay there, that you were going to take after your dad, you know, was there a, did you, did you get away for a while? Like a lot of kids do and go to college and then realize, Oh man, I don't like the real world. I'm going back to Shelby. I mean, how, how did, how did that come about? Yeah, exactly. That's actually what did happen. No, I grew up on the farm. Um, I'm the oldest son and my brother leg arms or Scott is his real name. Um, he's just a year younger than me and we grew up together farming. And I think I had a passion when I was younger in farming. I had all the tra- toy tractors and we'd gone right at dad and stuff. But when I got, I was homeschooled till eighth grade. And when I went to public school from then on, I, I developed a lot of friends, uh, video games were big. And I got a lot of video games and I just, lost interest in farming and just wanted to spend time goofing off and i had a lot of fun memories growing up but um i didn't have the passion for farming it wasn't really there i had friends in high school who were passionate farming i mean he he was farming and you know by 19 he had his own farm and i look at that going man by 19 i was trying to figure out (laughs) what what college i should go to and whatnot you know and the guy it's so i they were just so far ahead of me but they just had a passion for it and they're they um dug in and so um, I was a little bit better at, uh, um, 
academically than my brother. So he stayed and, and got be more of a gearhead and was really good at turning gears or wrenches and in the shop. And so he just stayed on the farm and, and, well, I didn't, my parents basically told me, you, you don't, if, if you don't have a passion to farm, you're not farming basically. Like, so they kind of kicked me out of the roost and said, you need to go do something in your life, either find a, find a, a college or something or a career, or, you know, we're just going to send you off somewhere. You're just gonna have to go somewhere. And well, then I got into aviation because um, I'd always been passionate with aviation, but um, I thought because of my love for video games too, that that would be a good fit. And so then through the process of that, I went to Colorado for four years. Um, and during that, I would come back in the summers and work on the farm and, and, and go through harvest in the fall and then get into college late. I was, I was always, always a couple of weeks late in the semester. And as I went more and more into that at Air Force ROTC and a couple of their programs through air traffic control, and I started really looking and going, man, I had it good in Montana. And so when I graduated, I came back and I was applying to get a job through the air trap or the FAA for air traffic controller while working on the farm and I, and I kept getting passed up in the selection process because they, they kind of hire in spurts uh, and then they'll go years without hiring and then they'll hire in spurts. So it was kind of a, a, a weird thing. Well, during that land was coming up all around us, either for sale, for rent. Um, or we have what's called CRP. That's mm -hmm. a government program where they took farm ground and put it back into grassland. Uh, and then they pay you basically to not farm it. It was a pretty amazing program for farmers, but it also caused a lot of headaches. Well, all that land, was being taken out because the government wasn't paying as much on it or they were weren't renewing it. So our farm went from a couple thousand acres to several thousand in a matter of a couple of years. Well, that takes more help. You got to have more hands to do that. So the demand for, for myself to be able to farm alongside my brother and my dad was there. And we just said, you know what, I'm just going to keep farming and, and not pursue this career in aviation, which I'm, I'm very thankful I did because I think, um, one of the most important things for me is being able to raise my family, my right. kids, like the life I had growing up. And that's what I want for them, because I think there's some tremendous opportunities to develop some some amazing skill sets. And so that's one of the biggest reasons why I chose to come back to the farm. But since then, then the YouTube team on the scene other stuff, too. So it's it's been a it's been quite a ride. Uh, YouTube started for you nine years ago in 2011. Uh, your very first video was about and I don't even know if you remember this, but your chicken coop destruction video. Uh, yeah, obviously it, it, that was not where you started. I, I mean, I know you started posting stuff back then, but it seems like what really got you up and running and correct me if I'm wrong on YouTube was the big bud tractor restoration, the time lapse video that everybody's seen uh, that should have 10 million videos or 10 million views instead of just a million. But um, that the big bud thing, that's that's is that where you considered saying, hey, you know what, we can we can maybe do something with this? Where, where did YouTube fall into your guys's business plan? You know, I think it was that was definitely in the breakthrough, I guess you could say, was that when we did that, the feedback was enormous. And Facebook was a lot bigger back then watching it make its rounds through all these groups on Facebook. Um, that's what I would do is I would basically make a video and then I would send it to like 10 or 15 different Facebook groups, pages that I had a lot of followers that I thought they might share it and some would share it. Some wouldn't, some would reply, some would ignore you, but they'd get a share on a couple of them and it, and it took off and that really helped. But it was just kind of a hobby at that point. It was kind of like, Oh, this is cool. It's kind of like a, I don't know. It's like 4-H, you know, doing this exhibit to just get that, 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 that ribbon. And there's nothing else to it other than just to get that blue ribbon is you want the blue ribbon. Well, that's kind of what it was like, oh, okay, I just want to get some views. Well, up, you know, I want to get a million view video. And, and then I never even thought about subscribers. I didn't even like care about that. I was just wondering the horizon. That was, that wasn't even something I thought about, but then slowly 
as more and more videos came out and, and our subscribers started to increase, I was like, that's, that's crazy. There's 10,000 people following me. That's, that's bigger than the town I live at. And then in 20, 30, 40, 50,000. And, and, and then it started to realize this is kind of getting to be something. And then when I had magazines would ask for an interview and, and that's when reality kind of started to hit that this is something beyond just a hobby. Um, and we didn't even monetize our platform for a while. So we weren't even generating income off it. Um, I had given up because I hadn't figured, I couldn't figure it out. I was like, I don't even know how I get this set up, whatever. I don't care. Probably won't make any much any, anyways, because I figured you have to have millions and millions of views to make any kind of money doing it. So that was never even on the picture. But then when we finally had things figured out and started to take off and then the vlogging scene kicked in mm-hmm. and started making vlogging style farm videos, then it just, it just exploded and it just kept growing and growing and growing. And, and the return on it was, was tremendous. And the opportunities for the farm was tremendous. And then it's like, okay, well, I guess this is going to be a new business platform for my life is running this social media monster that's come. And so that's, it's been a daily adventure and it's changing constantly. It's amazing. Does that change your role on the farm at all? I mean, can, you know, can you now say, Hey, I can't, I can't go plow that field. I got to make a video. I mean, yes. So now you get to say, Scott, you're in the tractor and I've, I've got to be creative. Yeah, it's, it has, it has, it, it slowly worked its way into that, but yeah, I know it definitely has now. And now everybody's on board at the first, they weren't first. It was an annoyance to them, but now it's, yeah, it's, it's, if there's a, if there's an opportunity for a good shot with the camera or something, I mean, we literally will stop things to film and then start again. And it's uh, because we've realized it's, it's worth it to do that for what we get, you know, get in return. But the, um, it definitely has, I still try to make sure I'm, I am, um, working as much as I possibly can to keep up with my dad and my brother. But there are times where I, I like, I'll be doing, you know, a, a, an interview or, or we're working on a video or something and I won't be over the shop for a couple hours and they've already been over there and they just know that I'm doing that kind of stuff. And that's, um, you know, if anything, they wish they could help me more, but it's kind of a, I'm more of the, I guess, techie person in that aspect. So it's kind of become my thing, but right. yeah, it's, it, it is definitely different. Um, and uh, I don't know how long this will last, but for the time being, yeah, it's, it's definitely changed a little bit of how we work on the farm. Do you, uh, one of the things that we ran into, and, and in the beginning, you're always, you know, once you realize you can make money from YouTube and Facebook and all this kind of stuff, and you go, okay, this is great for me, right? And so you have that that period of time where you're like, I'm doing great. This is great. I'm getting, you know, I'm, I'm getting attention for myself. At some point for us, and I don't know if this happened to you, but it became uh, more about, the the big picture and I know well I know it is for you because you travel you visit other farms you you're helping out other people you know it becomes more about agriculture as a whole and it becomes less about I mean obviously you still have to make videos about what you're doing and your your harvests and all this kind of stuff because that's what bring people in but you start realize that that you're affecting people in a different way and you're bringing people closer to agriculture than they may have ever been in their whole life do you have any uh, any you know stories or anything that goes along with that 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 that, that has happened to you or is this something that just um has has not happened to you yeah no I, I definitely definitely has i mean yeah it's it's easy to get focused on numbers easy to get focused on growth and 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 return and and all that but it as soon as i leave and i go to a farm show um, and I, I see all the kids that want signatures or wearing your hats, you know, there's a, an 80 year old man will walk up and he's got your hat and your shirt on, you know, and you're like this guy I've never met in my life, but he went and ordered a hat and a shirt because he enjoys what we do and, and seeing people in person traveling. It's, it is quite remarkable. And it, it kind of, it's like a little dose of reality every time that happens. 
Um, it's easy to kind of get stuck in a bubble and all I see is numbers and occasionally comments, you know, and emails. But when you meet people in real life um, that follow you and pay attention to what you're doing, it, it, it makes you up and you go, wow, this is, this is bigger than I, do, I realized. And a lot of people I've met are not involved in agriculture and that's the even bigger picture. And, and there's been a lot of tremendous uh, false information uh, put out. And I know you are especially good at this um, for, for when it comes to the, the, um, the animal side of things with, with, with production with, with cattle and, 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 and practices and how you guys take care. I mean, it's, there's, there's some, some really actually dangerous groups out there that are attacking uh, farmers and ranchers for false uh, possibly abuse of the animals or abuse of the planet, if you want to say it, mm-hmm. that that's, that has no basis or, or scientific uh, basis to it. They, they just basically make up an, a blog, an article on the internet, and then it goes viral and everybody shares it. And, oh, no, I cannot believe it. Farmers are doing X, Y, Z to their land and the animals. And then we become hated because of it. And then those same people that just got done posting and hating on us go to the store and buy a pack of you know, a steak or two off the shelf and, yeah. and their Wheaties, you know, and then they don't think twice about it. And, and, and so it's, it's become, and if anything, it's, it's become a big money-making for, for a lot of the organic stores, the whole food stores and things, because then they go to these stores and they go, well, I'm eating, you know, uh, you know, this, this, this grain has never had round sprayed on it. So I know it's healthy. This, this beef was organically grown on range. They're happy cows, you know, and, mm-hmm. and they get these, these, these ideas, but what they don't realize is the organic scene, there's more toxic stuff sprayed on organic crops than there is radio. There, there's some very, very harmful items that are put on these crops, some acids and things that are very toxic to humans, but they're considered and labeled organic. So with all that said, um, it's not, there's pros and cons to everything, but it's good to finally be able to educate and show people that we're, we're not here just to uh, mine the ground to nothing and abuse and use and abuse to make the dollar at the end of the day. Obviously we're business, We've been going for a hundred years. We don't want to end. So you have to be smart. You have to make a dollar every year. If you don't, you're going to end. And who wants to be that generation that loses their family legacy, you know? So we're going to strive to succeed, but we're not going to abuse everything in the process. We're just smart about it. Well, exactly. Like you talk about being on that land where you're at for a hundred years and you grew up knowing that, um, you know, your dad and your granddad, they took care of that land. That was their that was that's that's their that's their livelihood, and they're not going to do anything to that land or to the people that that gain sustenance from that land that could harm them in the long run. And I think um, what happens with YouTube and social media is that yeah, we start out making videos about hey here here I am driving around in circles with a tractor, or here I am uh, restoring a big bud, which is very cool stuff. But somewhere along the line, something clicks and it becomes hey, you know what we have an, we have a an opportunity to educate people, and I think that's where you see channels like yours. Um, take that step forward. And now it's not so much about um, farming simulator and, and the, the, you know, all this other stuff that, that, that's really cool and, and gets you views. But at the same time, it's like, if I make a video that gets 10,000 views and educates 5,000 people, I feel like I did more with that than I did with a video that gets 187,000 views of me driving a tractor around in a circle. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's, that's really important. And that's something that as much as you people hate Google or hate YouTube or hate social media uh it is an avenue to to try to educate folks and i wanted to definitely thank you for for putting yourself out there because i know you have i know we have um i don't know how you are but when people pull in our driveway it's like oh geez what's what's this now you know sometimes uh, Uh, people knock on your door people you know there's all this kind of stuff that comes along with doing this and it's 
Um, it's very, uh, it, you know, it, there's times where it's like, really, is this really worth it? But, uh, yeah. you know, being able to talk to folks like you and, and, you know, talk and seeing how we, how much we have in common, um, really does make the entire thing worth it. Have you ever had a moment where you were like, uh, what, what have I gotten myself into? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I was, it was, uh, we'll see a year and a half ago, probably. I was just about ready to pull the plug. I mean, I just like, I, I couldn't, I couldn't keep up with the editing with the filming with everything. And I was like, my, my life is so busy, so overwhelmed that I, I, I don't even know if I'm enjoying it. You know, it's just, it's, it's not even that, you know, <laughs> even money, like the money doesn't buy happiness. And it, even right. if there was that, I mean, it's like, I'm just, I'm exhausted and I want to just, be a, a farmer and I want to be a dad and I want to be a husband and I want to just spend my summers going, you know, when I'm not working and going to the lake, going to the park, doing different things to enjoy it. Like most families would do. Um, but it's, that doesn't happen because it's 24 seven, you're tied into it, everything you do. So yeah, there's been a couple of times where I've, I've literally been like, this is just not worth it. But um, it's become bigger than that. You know, it's, it's become my brother and his family are, are heavily involved and I'm helping them out. They, I mean, it, it basically working for the, for the, the channel. And so their, their hopes and dreams someday is to put up a house on the farm. Cause we live in these small double whites and our homes are getting bigger or our families are getting bigger and bigger. And we're running out of space. And so yeah. I, I'm hoping to build a house someday here too. So, I mean, it, there's, there's been some huge blessings in this, uh, farming hasn't made a lot of money the last couple of years. And so it's been, it's been a great substitute there. So it's, it's bigger than that, but it's, there's all kinds of reasons when I have to sit down and look at it and go, okay, yeah, there's, this is the reason why we're doing this. And, and through that, I have to learn to adapt and, and, and be smart. And I, I've outsourced, outsourced my editing to a, a group that I know. Yeah. So they do, they do all not quite all, but most all my editing and it's a, uh, it's a, uh, um, definitely it's expensive, but it, it's, it's freed up that time that now I can focus on more stuff. And so it's, it's trying to just trying to adapt, you know, and there's only so much you can do at some point you, you can do too much. And that's why I tell people about this whole thing. It's like, I don't know how to explain it. It's like a, it's like a, <clears throat> a machine where, you know, if you give it an hour, it'll give you, it'll give you, two dollars if you get two hours i'll give you four dollars it's like it's like compounds you know mm -hmm. so like you basically you could feed this monster if you want to call it that as much as you possibly can and maximize whatever you get in return but you'll kill yourself in the process and at some point you have to draw the line and say this is nope this is too far i can't do this extra thing i can't take the time out tonight i'm gonna go spend it with my family even though the beautiful sun's out there even though there's something really fun happening or cool on the farm i'm gonna stay home because if I keep doing this, I'm going to lose touch with my family and it's going to end. So at some point you have to draw a line for the sake of your own family and sanity. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. What does, uh, this is, I, I this is kind of off the cuff here, but what, do, what about other farmers in your area, your dad's friends, what do they think about what Nick Welker's doing? Do they look at you and go, huh, here comes that crazy kid with his camera again. <laughs> I think, I think most of them think it's pretty cool. I think most think it's pretty neat to know that they know us. I think that's kind of something, you know, they're like, Oh yeah, we know the Welkers. We've grown up with them all this stuff. I mean, I think that's, that's definitely um, a highlight to them. I, I think there is some jealousy with some, but I, overall, I have not really sensed it that much. I mean, they're, they're, they're all pretty good. We have a pretty good relationship with, with most of our neighbors and uh, it's been, it's been uh definitely adventurous and and i've gotten to know some in the area that are actually kind of even doing a little bit of their own social media stuff so nice. we're not we're not far off of that 
Um, but yeah, and then, and then there's some part of the area that I don't know if I've ever been on YouTube once in their life, you know, <laughs> it's, so they don't even know, they, they don't have a clue what's going on and it's nothing, it's not even on their horizon because they just, it's not a deal to them. So, but yeah, it's, um, the community definitely knows now and, and I, and they do treat me a little differently because of that. Not bad, but they definitely will go out of their way to say hi to me or talk to me if they can. Right. So. That's very cool. Uh, one question I get all the time is, uh, you know, where do you see yourself in 10 years, in five years, in 10 years? Do you guys, uh, do you guys have a long range plan for Welker Farms? Do you want to be making videos in five years? Do you want to become an uh, advocate for agriculture and, and hit the speaking route? Uh, what's, what's your uh, future after, you know, not you after know, YouTube, maybe you want to make videos forever. What's your, what's your plan? I, I, we've thought about this time and time again. And, and I just don't know. I feel like platforms that we're on such as YouTube and, and whether it's Instagram, Facebook, or any of these platforms, you know, they're, they're, they're owned by someone else and they could be taken away in an instant. Um, so there's that reality that could hit the scene. There's just the reality of you just become old news and, and people just aren't interested in what you do anymore. I mean, that's TV shows. That's just the nature of the beast. You can't last forever. <laughs> the, it's just, it's just, just how it works. I mean, um, and I've been told this and I agree. I, I, they say internet, internet fame is like the shelf life of a banana, you know, it's there and then it's gone. And it's, mm -hmm. it's so it's really hard to say what is going to happen in the next few years. I guess I like to think of it as it's a wave and we're going to ride the wave and continue to try to stay on that wave as long as we can. But at some point I do see it ending. And when it does, part of me is excited for it because it's like, Oh, you know what? Finally can unplug and, and get back to really focusing on the farm. But I just don't see myself ever leaving the farm to pursue this outside. You know, I think that's where my heart is. I want to keep farming. I, I want to keep farming with my dad and my brother. Um, so, but yeah, I, I, I suspect a couple more years of this. I, I really can't put a number on it, but at the rate it's going right now, it makes sense to go for a couple more years and maybe a couple more years will turn into a decade. I don't know. You never <laughs> know. That's the, that's the, I mean, we all fell into this. I think each, each and every one of us from, you know, you, me, Zach, uh, no matter who you're talking about, uh, it was all, this all seemed to happen almost by happenstance, by accident. It was just like, you know, Hey, all of a sudden, I'm making videos and people are watching them and it's just like you get on that treadmill and, and uh, even if you wanted to get off uh, at sometimes it's like, I, I don't know how to slow this thing down to get it, you know, slowed down enough to where I can get off. And you mentioned going and doing other things. Like sometimes you are, you know, you're a, you're a videographer, you're making videos. I don't have time to go do a speaking event or go to a, go to a, a you know, a, a convention or something like that. Because if I, if I do, then I'm, then I'm missing out on, on what made me. So um, I think that it's something that it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. I hope the best for all of us that, you know, event, mm -hmm. you know, 10 years down the road that in some way or another, people will still know who Welker Farms is. People will still know, uh, you know, Minnesota millennial farmers that will all be advocates for agriculture and be able to um, continue to spread that message. Cause it's not going to go away. Obviously no, uh, people are no. going to keep on eating. So yeah, egg is in for long haul. We're, we're going <laughs> to, it's going to, the, the world's getting bigger, more mouths to feed. It's going to be a definitely, um, yeah, the future is definitely made, but yeah, how it, how it unfolds is definitely interesting. And, and it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely going to be a, well, I, time will tell. It really is going to be uh, yeah, anybody's guess, but for right now there's quite a movement in it and a lot of upcoming channels, like upcoming farms that are getting plugged in that are getting their name out there or taken off. They're showing different, different uh, angles of agriculture that we haven't seen yet. Um, it's really neat to see the growth and, and how 
popular this has become. Nick, we are uh, we are just almost out of time. Um, where can people find you? How can they get plugged into uh, Welker Farms and uh, and and uh, and find out what's happening next? How can they do that? Well, easiest is just obviously YouTube. Type in Welker Farms on um, pretty much any search engine, and it'll probably pop up our either our website or Welker Farms on YouTube. Um, we post videos typically uh, twice a week, and so. You can definitely join us, follow us there. If not that, then we are on Instagram and Facebook. And that's more of a kind of behind the scenes daily stuff. A lot of stories, come occasionally pictures and things. And so, but at, at most, those are the three platforms right now. Um, we've kind of contemplated switching, we're not switching, but adding a couple more platforms to that. But at some point I do have to draw the lines. That's <laughs> too many. So, but YouTube is the, that's the big one. You can follow that's us here. Awesome. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate it. And, uh, and hopefully here's my, I would love to come up and help you guys out sometime. We can, we can film together. I can maybe even get you down here for calving. Let's That'd work awesome. on that and see what we can put together. That would be awesome. I, I used to drive by your place. Well, on the interstate, uh, quite frequently when I was going to school in Colorado. So I'm used to oh, Wyoming yeah. on the trip, but one of these days I, I was always, if I make that trip again, I want to make sure I come say hi. Cause I'd love to see your guys' place and, uh, yeah, touch base. Definitely. Awesome. Thank you, sir. All right. Have a great, great time. We'll talk to you later. Nick Wilker from uh, North Central Montana up near Shelby. Thank you very much, Nick, for hanging out with us. Uh, we've got a lot more coming up on the Our Wyoming Life Perspective this year as we reach out to other agricultural YouTubers, people within the industry, uh, people that manufacture what we need, people that help out the agricultural industry, whatever it may need. It's all part of the Our Wyoming Life Perspective, and we appreciate each and every one of you guys for listening along with us. Be sure to go subscribe to Our Wyoming Life on YouTube. Check out our website, ourwomenlife.com, for all things owl and even more. Thanks for hanging out with me, guys. We'll see you next time right here on our Wyoming Life Perspective. You've been listening to Our Wyoming Life Perspective. We appreciate you listening. Everything we do is under Our Wyoming Life. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and of course, YouTube, where we post new videos every Tuesday and Friday that allow you to explore the ranch life and to escape the ordinary. You guys be good, and we'll see you back soon.